It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. On Tuesday night, the 22nd of October, 2013, two Irish children lay awake in strange beds. They'd been removed from their homes and their parents by Irish authorities. DNA tests are being carried out in relation to two children removed from Roma families in Dublin and the Midlands. One child who was removed... Both children were Roma. They both had blonde hair. They both had blue eyes. But neither looked like the rest of their families. It's highly unusual that one, let alone two young children, should be removed from families, but that is what has happened here in the past... For nine short days in the winter of 2013, an intense and highly destructive series of global events revolved not around how people look, but how they should look. These astonishing events left their biggest mark right here in Ireland. A seven-year-old girl was removed from a Roma family in Tala on Monday evening. She remains in care this lunchtime. DNA samples were taken from her parents this morning and the results are expected this evening. Those very results were to pose many awkward questions about how we all perceive others. In a second case, a two-and-a-half-year-old boy was removed from a Roma family in the Midlands last night. Gardaí visited the child's home after they were contacted by a member of the public and decided to act under Section 12 of the Child Care Act. When the dust settled on these events, the Irish police faced accusations of ethnic profiling as their superiors scrambled to establish what had happened. And the country's most senior politicians hastily expressed their remorse. And I do apologise to those uh, families, and particularly the children, who, who had to put up with these events. These kind of events should not happen to anybody in our jurisdiction, and nobody can afford to stand over that, or can stand over it. The seeds of what led to those two Irish children being taken from their parents were undoubtedly sown, not in Ireland on the 22nd of October 2013, but six days earlier, 2,000 miles away, in a Roma camp outside Athens. It was Maria's blonde hair and pale skin that led to her rescue. The four-year-old was discovered during a drugs raid. On Wednesday the 16th of October 2013, Greek police raided a Roma camp. On a routine search for weapons, they discovered a four-year-old girl. This was the home she was found in, part of a Roma camp in central Greece. The couple she shared it with are not the parents they claim to be. The Roma are an ethnic group whose life traditionally involves travelling from place to place to make a living. And camps like this accommodated that lifestyle. Authorities in Greece are making an international appeal this morning. They're trying to identify a young girl found in a raid on a gypsy camp. They fear she could be the victim of child trafficking. Mark Phillips. As the story was breaking, already the narrative had started to hone in on theories of why Maria looked as she did and not as she should. Good morning, Nora, Charlie. Well, she answers to the name Maria. She's thought to be four years old, and she's now being cared for by social services in Greece. The rest of her story is a mystery, and by the sound of it, a sinister one. In an initial test, Maria's DNA didn't match that of the couple who were caring for her. That couple claimed Maria's poverty-stricken mother had given her to them voluntarily when she was a baby. But this was not believed by anyone. 
It was the girl's looks that were the first clue, blonde and blue-eyed, not the typical gypsy dark hair and dark eyes. She was spotted in a gypsy community in the central Greek region of Larissa when police arrived to investigate another issue. No differently to anywhere else, in Ireland the story reported not only the discovery of Maria, but also the fears of what may have happened to her. An international search is underway to identify the parents of a four-year-old girl found in the care of a couple on a Roma camp in Greece. Officials believe she may have been a victim of abduction or child trafficking. Within days of these headlines hitting Irish news bulletins, two unsuspecting Irish children would be taken from their parents. Meanwhile, back in Greece, as the couple Maria had been with when she was found were charged with abduction, their lawyer continued to plea their innocence. Our uh, client's uh, claim is that uh, we never uh, abduct this child. We we just adopted with a uh, uh, way non-legal. That's where we can uh, confess. But investigators aren't buying it. They say Sally's, who has a criminal record, has given conflicting accounts on how they got Maria. That has officials investigating whether the couple is part of an international child trafficking ring. At this point, Maria was in the custody of a Greek charity called the Smile of the Child Foundation. All the while, the story was being eagerly watched back in Ireland by journalists like Kitty Holland. So there was a horror across Europe, I suppose, just all the things you hear about sort of children going missing and children being kidnapped and children being stolen. And it was kind of every parent's worst nightmare. And then there was this beautiful little blonde girl who clearly was living in poverty with that family and was in, in bad shape. And this sort of, I suppose, led to a level of hysteria, really, about uh, what Roma families were up to with blonde children. But the question gripping the media now was, whose child really was she? Parents of missing children all over the world were given renewed hope. People like the Irwin family from Kansas. The American parents of baby Lisa Irwin, the little girl who disappeared here in the U.S. a few years ago, now asking if their missing child could be Maria. Good morning, Robin. The Irwins are one of 8,000 calls and leads that Greek authorities have received from around the world. Now, the Roma couple appeared at the courthouse behind me. They are both now headed to jail while police continue hunting. Helena Smith was working for The Guardian newspaper in Athens at the time. Almost five years on, she recalls how quickly this individual four-year-old became every missing child. From the outset, it had all the makings of a great news story that really would write itself. The story of this mysterious little girl, pale-skinned, fair-haired, with conspicuously deep-set blue eyes, who had been discovered hiding under a blanket. She was seen peeping from under the blanket and very soon Maria was being seen as the embodiment of missing children everywhere. I remember, very distinctly remember headlines referring to her, mostly in the, ta- in the tabloid press, as the blonde angel. In Ireland and across the world, hope and suspicion were beginning to converge. The suspicion that Roma families were abducting children was creating a groundswell of hope that those children would be reunited with their parents. The discovery of this little girl had encouraged people to believe that their own children could at last be found. And indeed, even the parents of Madeleine McCann, I remember writing this distinctly, the British toddler who went missing in Portugal in 2007, were describing the case as a sign that children who had disappeared could still be found. And we just have to to go with 
the process and follow it through, whatever it takes for as long as it takes. You know, but there's still hope that we can find Madeline. For the next four days, Maria remained in the custody of the charity as police tried to establish who and where her parents were. Internationally, people waited and they watched. They watched not only Greece, but also their own communities. It was Monday the 21st of October 2013, just five days since Maria was discovered, and a message was posted on the Facebook page of a Dublin journalist's TV3 programme. The journalist who received the post was Paul Connolly. So it was a Monday morning in TV3 where I was working at the time as an investigative journalist. Now we had a Facebook page set up just in case people want to give us tip-offs or feedback. And this particular Monday morning, I was alerted to a message that had come onto the Facebook account sent by a member of the public. This Facebook post purported to be from someone who had knowledge of a family in the West Dublin suburb of Tala. Basically what the message suggested was that a young girl with blonde hair and blue eyes had possibly found herself in the care of people who were not her parents. Hi Paul. Today was on the news, the blonde child found in Roma camp in Greece. There is also a little girl living in Roma house in Tala, and she is blonde and blue eyes. Her name is and the address is Tala. I am from a country in Eastern Europe myself, and it's a big problem there, missing kids. The Romas robbing them to get child benefit in Europe. What again gave me slight cause for concern was how specific it was. There was a name of the child in the email. There was an address for the child. And then the person who actually sent this email did make reference to what had happened in Greece. What I did was send an email to the Garda Press office. And to be honest, I didn't really expect to hear a lot more about it. Dominoes were now beginning to fall. The Facebook post had mentioned Maria, and now the post itself was about to trigger an extraordinary series of events in Ireland. As the post was opened and read, somewhere in Tala and somewhere in Athlone, a seven-year-old girl and a two-year-old boy were unaware that they were about to become central characters in this international story. Within a matter of hours, before lunch, so sometime within half 11 to 1pm, a phone call comes through and it was from the Child Protection Services in the local Garda station close to the area. They then said to me, look, can you please do your best, try and get more information from this person, please try and contact them. A little bit later that afternoon, maybe two, half two, I got a second phone call from the Child Protection Services and only judging by tone, things seemed to have stepped up a little bit. That's the first inkling in truth I got that maybe something was going to happen. Then at around 10pm that evening, an email comes through to me from the person who had initially sent the tip off, including their phone number. I had a phone number for the Child Protection Services um, in Dublin. I rang and I said, look, I have that phone number for you now. Here you go. Here's all of the information I have. I said thanks and that was it. Everybody went to bed. What Paul Connolly didn't know as he turned off the light that night was that the earlier mail he'd sent to the guards had sparked a rapid series of events in Tala on that afternoon of Monday the 21st of October 2013. 
These events were to come to light only afterwards, when the then Ombudsman for Children, Emily Logan, was given special powers by the Minister for Justice to undertake a comprehensive investigation. It wasn't lost on her that the Tala story was unfurling in the context of what was happening back in Greece. I remember a visual picture on the front of a, a UK tabloid of Maria, um, the child in Farsala in Greece, and the detail of that. And I, I suppose I was very surprised and shocked with the coverage of, of that case, and then even more surprised that it came, it came to Ireland, it came to our own doorstep. At that stage, it was well known across Europe that there was a, a very strong and growing anti-Roma sentiment. So it didn't appear to be, uh, to me, such a surprise, having worked internationally and linking in with my European colleagues, but it was certainly a huge surprise that it ended up here. In the course of her investigation, Emily Logan was given unprecedented access to Angarda Siakana, social workers, foster parents, and the children and families at the centre of the story. She was the first person from a non-policing body ever to be given powers to investigate the police. Drawing on all of this access... Emily Logan was able to establish the sequence of events once police received the information contained in the Facebook post that day in Tala. This is a seven-year-old girl uh, living in the Tala area for a number of years. In this situation, the Garda involved is a very experienced guard and immediately contacted the local principal to check out whether the child was attending the school and whether they knew that family and whether there were any child protection concerns and the principal was able to very quickly state that the school had no child protection or welfare concerns whatsoever. Uh, the guard then contacted the health service executive social work team to ascertain whether they had any relevant records, and they confirmed that there were no child protection concerns in relation to that child. They then went, later on that afternoon, they went to the family's home. Um, at this stage, there was quite a lot of pressure building Um, external to to this story. And this pressure inexorably built. As the international media relentlessly pursued the story of child trafficking and abduction back in Greece, here in Ireland, the guard in Tala now suddenly found himself investigating a blonde-haired, blue-eyed child in a Roma family who also didn't resemble her parents. And that afternoon, his series of checks now turned to the hospitals. He contacted uh, the local hospital to ask about... Uh, the child's birth and for some reason the, the hospital were not able to confirm that information or the information they provided to him was inconsistent. So he'd one piece of information that gave him some doubt as to this child's birth information. And in fact what had happened because they had a very close working relationship, the guards and the social work uh, teams, they deferred to this individual guard because of his experience and they made a collective decision to invoke section 12 of the Child Care Act, which is about taking the child into to care until they had um, confirmed whether these parents were in fact who they said they were. It was 5pm, and at this point a total of nine police officers were at the house. A decision had been made. The child would be removed and taken into care. It's a power the police have known as Section 12. The law states it can only be used if there's an immediate and serious risk to the health or welfare of a child. The atmosphere in the house was emotional and tense as they waited for the child to be physically taken away. But the family then found a birth certificate and an old passport for their child. However, the guard afterwards said that due to the lack of corroboration from the Coombe Hospital, he did not believe at that time that the birth certificate was genuine. 
A car arrived and the child was removed. She was brought to the HSE's offices in Chamber Place, accompanied by her older sister. The Logan Report records that when the time came for the seven-year-old to be brought to her foster placement, the social worker explained the situation to the child and she became very upset. She was crying and she kept saying she wanted to go home and she wanted to stay with her parents. The seven-year-old told a social worker that she thought that she was being taken away from her family as she looked different, but said that she looked similar to her brother. He also had blue eyes. She spent that night in the home of an experienced foster family, who Emily Logan subsequently spoke with. So I interviewed the uh, foster care family and they described the child as being withdrawn and quiet and crying, uh, tucked up in bed. And that also she refused to take off, she was in her school uniform, she refused to take off her school uniform and get into pyjamas. And that she stayed on top of the bed and essentially cried herself uh, to sleep. Events had sprinted out of the blocks. The media struggled to keep up and most of the information only hit the public the following day. So the next morning, I wake up and there is literally a Category 5 media storm taking place. The uh, case of a young girl found in the care of a Roma couple in Greece has sparked international interest in missing children. Police are now working on what is a similar case in Ireland. Erin McLaughlin has more. Police have removed a seven-year-old girl, a blonde girl, from the home of a Roma family in Tallet, Ireland, on Monday afternoon. This executive is applying to the district court for an interim care order for a child removed from a house in Dublin. Gordy removed the child from a Roma family in Tallet and placed her in care. How do you read what's going on at the moment? Because there's an enormous amount of prejudice in the air, for one thing, but a second Romani family now under investigation, this time in Ireland. We have uh, to be really cautious uh, with our judgments and our um, how we end up with conclusions. The then Ombudsman for Children, Emily Logan, herself remembers the media atmosphere. The media were following the story very closely. It had been on the front of the New York Times. The UK was following the story of Maddie McCann, that possibly this child, because she was seven, you know, Maddie found in Ireland was on the front of one of the papers. In the midst of it all, Paul Connolly was more than aware that it was the message to his programme which had lit the fuse. You know, it was all snowballing, spinning out of control. It seemed to be picked up all over the country very quickly. Uh, there was international interest because obviously the story in Greece and the story in Ireland uh, were feeding each other. Such an incredible coincidence. It was approaching tea time on Tuesday the 22nd of October and the seven-year-old girl in Tala had now spent 24 hours in care. So I stroll into the TV3 newsroom and I say, look, lads, bit of a news flash. That story actually originated here. And at 5.30 that evening, um, I was on the evening news with Colette Fitzpatrick and I just very simply explained the situation. The child is now in care after Gardy intervene and take her from a Roma family. Well, Paul joins me now in studio. Paul, can you explain your connection to this case? Uh, sure, it was yesterday morning. I received an email from a researcher and system producer here in TV3. She had helped me set up the Paul Connolly Investigates Facebook page and had an email alert system. It was now early evening on the 22nd of October 2013, six days since blonde-haired, blue-eyed Maria was removed from her Roma family in Greece. Police continued to search for her birth parents. In the meantime, an Irish blonde-haired, blue-eyed child had been removed from her Roma parents 
2,000 miles away in Ireland and remained in care. At this moment, in the Midlands town of Athlone, Luridana and Yanku Muntian, a Roma couple who had been living in the town for half a decade, were at home with their two-year-old, blonde-haired, blue-eyed son, also called Yanku. Paul Canellan is their solicitor. It was around seven o'clock in the evening. It was dark. Two guardy arrived at the front door of the house. They would have been very familiar with one of the guardy who called, and he was, he was very familiar with the family. I'm not sure that he was aware himself that they had a blonde child. The family had been living in Athlone for approximately five years prior to this, so they would have been well known around the area. They thought initially that the guards were arriving with a warrant to search the house, but then it became obvious that they were making inquiries about the children. They had they had a baby girl as well. Lord Anna apparently produced the birth certificates and their own identity cards. There were a couple of discrepancies on the birth certificates, but the birth certificate in relation to, to Yanku um, showed that he had been born in Port Junkala Hospital. A central reason why the family found themselves in Athlone Garda Station that evening was a discrepancy in the birth certs of two of their children. But this discrepancy was easily explainable. Emily Logan. When the uh, parents produced the birth cert, they had noted a difference, a discrepancy between the two birth certs. There were two children in the house, and they noticed a difference in the mother's signature on the birth cert, first for the first child and for the second child. And in fact, this, this was simply um, explained and attributable to the mother's literacy level. Previously, she had been marking the birth cert with X or any formal documentation with X and she had learnt to, to write and to print her name so the, the second child who was the child in question uh, the mother had printed her name but at this stage the guards had indicated to the family that they were concerned about the child's identity and they had created if you like what they perceived now as a flight risk but in going to the family's home giving this information they had in fact themselves created the flight risk rather than the family. They also gave an explanation to the guardie in relation to his blonde hair, which was the fact that he suffered from a form of albinism. And this lies at the centre of these events. These blonde-haired, blue-eyed children simply didn't look as they should. Albinism is a well-known genetic feature within the Roma community. It's a recessive gene, and so it can be passed on to a child by parents who have very different, much darker features. They were asked at that point to voluntarily go to the Garda station. They understood that they were effectively in custody. When they got to the Garda station, they were questioned again. At that point, the Garda apparently checked with the uh, authorities in Port Junkla Hospital to verify whether or not the child was born. And the record showed that a male uh, boy, a boy had been born to Lordana on the date on the birth certificate. What Yanku's parents didn't know was there had again been a rapid series of events that day which led to the knock on their door from the police. At 9.53 that morning, a member of the public had mailed the Garda Missing Persons Bureau. The mail was entitled, Suspected Child Abduction. As Emily Logan later determined, that same person had spotted Yanku all of four months earlier at a fair in County Clare and was struck by his colouring. Again, they said it was only now they were prompted to contact police by the discovery of Maria in Athens. 
This individual who'd sent the email had been at, people would be aware of the Willie Clancy Festival in County Care during the summer months in July. And she outlined how she had stopped at one of the stalls at the festival to get her daughter's hair braided. And this is where she met the child who's known as Child A's family. And what she wrote in the email uh, went on to say that while my, while my children were getting their hair braided, I preoccupied myself with a little baby. He had very blonde hair, had the bluest eyes and his complexion was also fair. I commented on his colouring and the young woman said, ah, that's his grandfather, meaning that he got his genes from his grandfather. Now, apart from the baby, all of the others were completely dark in complexion, eyes and hair. So this woman made contact with uh, the Garda Missing Persons Bureau and they responded to this as if it was a child uh, protection risk situation. Unfortunately, that email continued and that subject matter continued as the email was passed on through the system. What was striking was the sheer speed at which events were unfolding and decisions were being made. At 7pm, a family were at home with their two-year-old toddler. Minutes later, they found themselves in a police station under questioning and a little more than three hours later, their child was removed from them. So they spoke to the family um, without an interpreter on the basis that they had made an assessment that the father had enough English to understand and they also took um, mouth swabs to check uh, DNA uh, supporting evidence and sent that off to um, forensics. For me, that was a very that was a disproportionate response. I mean, there are some much more discreet inquiries you can make locally for any family to determine a child's parentage rather than going to uh, such a disproportionate intervention as taking forensic samples from parents to see if they are in fact uh, genetically related to a child. So I did think that was rather a disproportionate intervention. What is ironic is that Paul Canellan can only recount the family's story from their own testimony and official reports. He, as their solicitor, didn't actually know all of this was happening to his clients at the time because he had not been contacted. They had not been offered the services of an interpreter. They had not been offered the services of a legal advisor. And they were detained from approximately 7 o'clock until coming close to 11 o'clock that evening. And at 11 o'clock, the child was put into a squad car, into the back of the squad car, on his own, and he was taken away. The parents were not told where he was being brought or what was, what was going to happen. As their two-year-old son was driven off into the October night, Loredana and Yanku were left distraught and frantically wondering where their child had been taken. So at 11 o'clock that night, the, the child was brought to a very experienced foster family where he stayed overnight with the family. It was shortly after 9 o'clock on the morning of the 23rd of October when the guards got in contact with the local social worker and in particular the public health nurse and Bernardo's. So local support services were very quickly able to affirm for the local guardie though there was absolutely no suggestion whatsoever of any child protection concern and certainly no question whatsoever of the child's parentage. So the child, once the senior social worker contacted the local guards and confirmed that information, the child was immediately returned to their family. The unfortunate thing about that was that had they been offered the facilities of legal advice, I've no doubt that they would have contacted me. I would have been able to tell the Gardaí that they had a blonde child. But equally so, I had contact numbers for the social workers, mobile numbers, 
out of out of hours numbers that I would have been able to use to contact the, the social workers who were very familiar with the family. Unfortunately, that didn't occur. At 11.30 the following morning, after almost 17 hours of frantic activity by Gardy and the HSE, Yanku and Loredana were reunited with their two-year-old boy. Yanku spoke briefly of the ordeal. He not tell me straight away what happened, you know. He tell me, can you come to Garcia for a few seconds? I said, yes. And he tell me, can you bring your baby as well? I said, yes, why not? And then he said, I have to take your blood, everything test, and I have to take the kit. Did he say anything about your, the colour of your child's hair? Yeah, he said, it's a blonde hair, blue eyes, like this. And I said, yeah, it's my grandfather, my wife, grandfather, it's the same thing. And he tell me, I know that, but the people cannot believe it. Later that day, the family travelled to Ballinasloe. They were spotted by another member of the public who alerted Gardee to a young boy with blonde hair and blue eyes in the company of members of the Roma community. A photograph was forwarded to Athlone Garda station. The police confirmed that it was Yanku, the child who had just been returned to his parents. It was now lunchtime on Wednesday the 23rd of October 2013, seven days since Maria was discovered in Athens. Of the three blonde-haired, blue-eyed children to be removed from their Roma families between Greece and Ireland, one had now been returned, another, Maria, remained in the care of a charity while police looked for her birth parents, and another, the seven-year-old girl in Tala, was still in foster care. At this point, swabs had been taken from her parents in order to carry out DNA tests. The seven-year-old girl was removed from a Roma family in Tala on Monday evening. She remains in care this lunchtime. DNA samples were taken from her parents this morning and the results are expected this evening. Paul Reynolds, RTE News, Dublin. Now the world's media awaited the results of the Tala DNA test due back that evening. Back in Athens, Greek police suspicions had proven to be true. Maria's DNA was found not to have matched the Roma couple she'd been living with. But whose DNA did she match? As the Guardian's Helena Smith remembers, suddenly the story that Maria, when she was just one, had been voluntarily handed over to the couple by her poverty-stricken Bulgarian Roma mother didn't seem quite so ridiculous. The couple, who had been dragged before the courts, accused of kidnapping and abducting a minor, had given conflicting accounts of the story, but later it emerged that they were nervous. The Roma couple that Maria was found with had been in jail now for seven days, but still maintained that their story was true. They had been handed the child by another Roma woman who had given them the little girl without um, going through the official adoption process. It had been a private transaction rather than a legal, uh, officially uh, annotated transaction. The police tried to determine the truth or otherwise of these claims, and there was about to be another twist in the story and another character. In the search for Maria's mother, they had tracked down a Roma woman living in abject poverty in Bulgaria. Her name was Sasha Ruseva, and now the media descended upon her, wanting to know whether or not she'd been selling her own children. In a scrum of reporters, she said, I don't know if Maria's my child. We have given out some children for free. We have taken no money. We never took any money. We just couldn't feed the child. She agreed to give a sample of her DNA 
and it would be a few days before the results were back. The world waited. But their wait for news of Tala was at an end. It was early evening on Wednesday the 23rd of October 2013 and CNN was now reporting that in Dublin, big news was breaking. And a source tells us that DNA tests have confirmed that the seven-year-old girl taken from a Roma couple in Ireland on Monday is indeed their biological daughter. Erin McLaughlin joins us live now from Dublin outside this couple's home. And what are you hearing, Erin? Well, the sister of the girl who Irish police are not naming spoke to the media outside the family home just a short while ago. She says she expects her sister to be home very soon. Uh, the family says that 20 police officers turned up on their doorstep on Monday. The girl was taken into the custody of social services. Now that the ordeal appears to be over, uh, the family says that they have a big party plan but, and that they're grateful uh, to have this little girl back. Minutes before this report, the news had first been relayed to Justice Minister Alan Shatter as he sat in the Senate waiting to speak on a different matter. The results of the DNA test blipped into his phone. He got to his feet. As I've sat here, you may have wondered why on occasions I was uh, accessing my phone. It wasn't out of a discourtesy to anyone. The results of certain tests were coming through to me that I was anxious to ensure I knew as soon as possible. There were two children removed from two families in this state in the last 48 hours. In circumstances in which Angoda Shikona had serious concerns about the welfare of those children. I want to report to the House that the concerns that arose relating to the children have now been proved to be groundless. As the seven-year-old girl was finally being driven back to her home in Tala, having been forced to spend two full nights away from her family, the minister was reminding people that events in Greece could not be discounted as playing a role in her removal. It is important that we don't get caught up in some of the concerns and some of the media spotlight that has arisen in the context of cases in other states about which there are genuine causes for concern and in respect of which certainly one case that is very high profile elsewhere is still a matter of investigation and a matter to be dealt with in another jurisdiction in the courts of that jurisdiction. At 9.45 in the evening, the blonde-haired, pale-skinned seven-year-old from Tala was returned to her parents, rushed from the car to the house, her blue eyes peeping from underneath the blanket. Her father spoke briefly to the media. We don't want it to happen to any family, he said. What was the first thing his little girl did when she got home, they asked. She was very happy, he said. She was crying. Paul Connolly remembers that at this moment, both the way this story was being told and the way it was being consumed changed utterly. And then things very much changed in terms of people's attitudes and in terms of the angles at which the press directed their attentions. They wanted to know, how did this happen? Were the Gardaí at fault? Where did the initial tip-off come from? How was that all handled and you know was there any discrimination involved in the motivation and the acceleration of the investigation itself was it child protection or racism our late debate tonight after the news from Eileen Whelan 
Good evening. The Minister for Justice has said he has concerns about two cases where children from Roma families were taken. But I'm also astounded that a country with the kind of wonderful reputation of Ireland could have done something so stupid as to believe in Greece. I think the questions we'll, we'll look at, you know, was there undue influence or a kind of a social hysteria emanating from this case in Greece which influenced the actions of, of public authorities. And it is important, and it is racism in my view. I mean, can anybody imagine what these children have gone through in the last uh, few days? These families, what they have gone through. See, what and, I have found and, about and it's horrific the way it's been whipped up by the media. So it brings great shame on Ireland. It brings great shame on the media. Two of the three blonde-haired, blue-eyed children who had been taken from their Roma families were now back home with their parents. Only Maria in Greece now remained in the care of a charity amidst fears that she had been abducted and trafficked. But something was about to happen which blew this theory out of the water. On the 25th of October 2013, nine days after Maria had first been spotted peeping out from underneath that blanket in a Roma camp, the results of the DNA tests on Sasha Ruseva came back. This was the woman who it had been claimed willingly gave her daughter Maria to the couple she had been found with so they could bring her up properly. The results showed that she was Maria's mother. The story had been true. Far from abducted and trafficked, Maria had been the subject of a desperate act by a mother who simply could not afford to look after her. DNA tests have confirmed that a Bulgarian Roma couple are the biological parents of mystery blonde girl Maria, who was found at a Roma settlement in Greece. Her mother, Sasha Ruseva, admits giving up her child in Greece, saying she couldn't afford to feed her, but she's told prosecutors she didn't take money. The case has come to illustrate the desperate plight of Roma families, many of whom have spent their lives in poverty, are illiterate and have been marginalised by society. Nine days after Maria was first spotted, it was over, as suddenly as it began. As arrangements for Maria's long-term care were being made, questions were being asked of those involved, and the Guardian's Helena Smith remembers that many, including herself, were beginning to ask questions of themselves. Of course, she had been uh, relocated from the hospital where she had undergone these battery of tests, primarily to determine her uh, identity, and she had moved into the care of Smile of the child. The mystery had been solved, but in covering its every twist and turn, I perhaps unwittingly had helped bring on the hysteria that would go on to affect the lives of children elsewhere. And these nine days had had a significant impact on all those involved. In Greece, the couple with whom Maria had been found were released from custody and had their child abduction charges dropped in 2015. The family publicly said two years ago that they wanted her back. The impact on Maria's birth mother was also far-reaching. Sasha Ruseva had 15 years previously given up a child. She had left her baby outside a shop on a cardboard box. Sasha was now living in a dilapidated one-room shack on the outskirts of the Bulgarian town of Nikolaeva with her seven remaining children. Five of them bore a striking resemblance to Maria. She looks similar to other sisters. All of them are blonde-haired, have blue eyes. On the 30th of October, five days after the DNA test confirmed her as Maria's mother, all seven of Sasha's remaining children were taken from her and placed in care. In Ireland, there was the impact on the seven-year-old girl in Tala. 
Emily Logan spoke to her whilst compiling her report after the ordeal. She was very complimentary about the foster parents and that everybody was very kind to her, but she also described about how upset she was and how traumatised she was to the extent that she still, at that stage, was concerned that she could be taken away from her parents and was sitting in front of me with different colour hair because as a seven-year-old child, she was now dyeing her hair. She was blonde and her hair is now dark brown. She was also quite incredible the day we met with the Minister for, for Justice, the subsequent Minister for Justice, Francis Fitzgerald, was the person who met with me to apologise to the family on behalf of the state. And the seven-year-old girl was in the room, spoke about how she could speak five languages, including Irish. What was also very interesting from her point of view, or from my point of view, was to hear her say, but nobody asked me, nobody asked me, was this my mother and father. Nobody asked me. The Gardaí involved in Tala were very, very experienced, very experienced. But I think this is, a, I suppose, a confluence of circumstance and very unfortunate circumstance where individuals were under enormous pressure. I don't think that there was a conscious bias here or prejudice on behalf of the individual. I think their greatest priority was to protect this child. But you have to be sensitive to the unconscious information that lurks, I suppose, in your, your own psyche. So I did feel, I have to say, very em empathetic towards the people, uh, towards in particular the, the Garda team in Tala, who made a human error. I did reluctantly call it ethnic profile, and I know the individual guard strongly disagreed with me, but I felt it was important that just because somebody is empathetic, is expert, doesn't mean that we cannot all have unconscious biases or prejudices that we may not use with intent, but that we need to be aware of and be sensitive to. There was the impact solicitor Paul Canellan describes on the two-and-a-half-year-old boy and his family in Athlone, whose removal, the Logan report had said, was consistent with ethnic profiling. I would say the child was clingy and remained so for quite a time afterwards, but long-term made a good recovery. They did, however, express over a period of time afterwards that they were the focus of attention. You, walking around the town of Athlone, they could see people turning and obviously uh, discussing who they were. They were of the view, and it's also a view that I held, that this would not have happened had they not been a Roma family. They remained in Athlone uh, for some time afterwards. The situation was uncomfortable for them. They have since left Athlone. I think the uncomfortable nature of the events had, uh, had led to put them in, in, an, in an awkward position, I think. They were surrounded in controversy. The conclusion of my report in the Athlone case was that this, this was a case of ethnic profile that was driven by people's conscious or unconscious uh, prejudicial information about particular members of minority groups in this, in this case, the Roma community. And then there's the impact on the extended families. I coincidentally bumped into Yanku's granduncle while speaking to people on their old estate in Athlone and was struck by how raw the event still was with him. The guards do big mistake because him think the Romania people stealing kids and do that things, but him big mistake. The guards has to think about what him doing like to to go correctly like what him doing. 
And what of the three blonde-haired, blue-eyed children now? The state compensated both families of the two Irish children, €60,000 for the Athlone family and an undisclosed sum for the family in Tala. Both families also received apologies from on high, including the Taoiseach, the Minister for Justice and the Garda Commissioner. Earlier today I met with the families of both the Athlone and Tala families and the children concerned and offered an apology on behalf of Angarda Shikana for the distress that was caused to them. The family has very graciously accepted that apology. It's important uh, to say sorry and that's the first thing I wanted to do today, uh, to meet the two families, apologise to them on behalf of the state. The state is sorry and we regret the pain that they went through. Um, it should not have happened. It just should not. Um, it happened out of a determination. And finally, what of Maria, whose story unwittingly sparked these extraordinary nine days from the 16th to the 25th of October 2013. I inquired of the Smile of the Child Foundation how Maria was today and heard nothing for some time. One morning, I noticed a mail from them. The response in many ways spoke for all three of these blonde-haired, blue-eyed Roma children. They needed space. Space to grow up and move on with their lives. Dear Mr. O'Herlihy, as you know, the smile of the child has the parental responsibility and custody of the child upon the decision of a Greek court. According to this decision, we are obliged to ensure the well-being of the child, including the protection of her rights. However, beyond our legal responsibilities, the reality is that Maria has grown up and, like any other child of her age, she has developed a number of relations within her broader school and social environment. Any reference to her would be detrimental now to her well-being and would surely be against her best interests. In full knowledge of this fact, the smile of the child does not wish to make any comment on this case. We hope and count on your understanding. Best regards, Panos Pardalis, the smile of the child. <laughs>